Get a bit of sunlight, get a bit of movement, and try to push that cup of coffee out by an hour or two. Okay. If you used to drink it at five, drink it at six. If you drink it at seven, drink it at eight. I think that's okay. a pretty that's a fair yeah, yeah. middle ground. Then I think during the day, cutting your caffeine intake, like you said, mm. instead of having your last cup of coffee at five, six in the afternoon, have it at one, two o'clock. It's a simple, effective solution. Drink all the caffeine that you typically drink, just change the timings. Okay. And in the evening, try eat two hours, three hours before you sleep. Okay. I think four hours is probably the, the optimum. It but is optimal. I, mm. I, 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 it's not always practical. The time that I sleep and the time that I get home, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't line up. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson. Fatigue is an issue for many people, yet understanding how we become fatigued takes a bit of detective work and often a whole lot of getting back to the basics to find your energy without depending on caffeine and stimulants. In this episode, I chat with Tristan van Moerkoeken about optimizing sleep, and we look at the obvious and not so obvious causes of fatigue. You can find links to all of the resources and supplements mentioned in the show notes. So really what we want to chat about today is fatigue. Fatigue is, is something that I'd say eight out of 10 people in my practice come to me and say, I've got no energy. Whether it's waking up with no energy or completely flatlining by 4 p.m. and wanting to eat sugar and go hunting for yeah. biscuits and coffee and all this stuff in the yeah. afternoon, people are feeling really, really tired. And when you say, well, are you sleeping well? They go, well, no. It's like, well, how can we address fatigue without addressing sleep? So it's not just simply a case of, I don't know, going to bed earlier. What are the, I mean, nowadays we've made sleep so complicated. I mean, if you go to the bush and you're three days out in, 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 in the bush, magically our sleep comes right. And it's got a lot to do with our exposure to light, our less exposure to devices, possibly the fact that we are less stressed and we're more in tune with natural rhythms. We've become very, I think our habits have become really distorted and pushed us away from the natural cycles of, of getting into restful sleep. So from your perspective, what would you say to someone who came to you and said, well, I'm really fatigued, I'm not getting enough sleep. What are the things that we can address first? Ooh, well, I think sleep hygiene, sleep routine or evening routine rather is probably gonna be the biggest. Okay influences on mm. sleep and probably more importantly sleep quality. Mm. So, I mean, I know you've got the, the aura ring. I yeah. used to have my aura ring until gave in after a lot of beating. Um, but I think okay, maybe to go back to this, I used to track um, my sleep stages and I think that gets a little complex. So everyone can look and you can get some information like we had, you know, 50 minutes of deep sleep and four hours of light sleep yeah. and three hours of REM sleep or whatever it is. But being able to like interpret and understand what that means and how sure. changes in that affect how you're feeling the next day become mm. a little difficult. Mm. Um, and also, I guess, what you're doing in terms of your routine and how that influences that is also a little complicated. But yeah. in terms of the evening routine, I found the biggest things that had an impact on, on my sleep were um, time before, more time eating before, before you sleep. Right. So two to three hours tended to have the biggest um, kind of like benefit or sure. effect on optimizing my so sleep. So you stop eating three hours before bedtime? Correct, okay. yeah. Right. And also trying to eat a lot um, easier to digest food. So mm -hmm. um, low protein, more high fat, high carbohydrate based meals. Okay. So something like red meat, super difficult to digest. Okay. Your body goes into that um, digestive yeah. state mm. while you're sleeping mm. instead of resting, mm. it's digesting. It's rest or digest. Exactly. If one you don't or the other, both. you can't yeah. do both. Okay. And that's the whole reason why you want to eat two, three hours before you sleep. You okay. give your body that time to digest the food and process mm. it before you kick it off to, to sleep. Another thing was 
light or blue light, mm-hmm. um, exposure to blue light from devices, TVs, um, ceiling lights, whatever it is. Mm. Um, a lot of exposure to blue light had a negative impact on my sleep and, and time it took me to fall asleep. And then you've also got natural light, so just making sure that when you wake up in the morning you're getting exposure to sunlight, during the yeah. day you're getting exposure to sunlight, and in the evening before bedtime you're getting exposure to that sunset, that high red light. Yes. Um, light also had a really, really big impact on my, yes. on my sleep. Okay. Um, and that goes back to like the whole thing of the sun regulating your circadian rhythm, so yes. your sleep schedule is kind of like set to the sun as a clock. And that's what we've lost. So over, I'd say the last 30 years since we've been wired to the internet, for want of a better word, and stuck behind our phones and our, our laptops is uh, we've lost that link to the, the way the brain works. And we can't change that. You know, evolution yeah. happens every 100,000 years. Just because technology is boomed doesn't mean our brains are going to catch up in the same time frame. And, you know, you tell people, well, you need to shut your laptop um, three hours before bed and they look at you like you're talking another language. So like, how can I do that? I'm not going to need any work done. It's like, shouldn't you be getting the work done during the day? If you're not getting the bulk of the work done during work hours, maybe we've got to reassess, you know, how you're working. It's just, it's not making sense. Yeah. But then you get people that work better at night. And That's also true. I love watching TV in the evenings mm. and... As much as I know blue light has a negative impact on my sleep, I still mm. get blue light in the evenings. But yeah. there's also ways that you can kind of like minimize that okay. and modern day solutions to modern day problems. So like blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Easy way to solve. Okay, like I think you say to anyone that is getting a ton of blue light in the evening, okay, no more TV, no more this, like you gotta sit in darkness, you can't <laughs> eat. It's not practical. It's not practical. Mm. So you can say to someone, cool, well, yeah, wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses. You can still watch your TV, just maybe don't sit with every single light in your house on. Sure, be mindful exactly. of your exposure. Pick your, pick your poison, maybe. Exactly. Um, how effective are the amber glasses? And are there different grades of blocking? I mean, you could. what are the sort of different levels of being able to really filter out blue light? Yeah, so we use a range of blue light blocking glasses from TrueDark or Dave Asprey's brand. Yeah. Um, and they've got two different variations of the glasses. They've got the yellow lens or the clear lens, which block, I mean, don't hold me to the percentage here, no. but let's say like 50 <laughs> to 70% of mm. blue light. Mm. Then you've got the red lens or the amber lens glasses, which block, let's say, 80 to 90% of blue light. All right. Um, and in that spectrum of blue light, there's blues, greens, yellows, and it kind of just sure. in, really lets in those long wavelength lights. So okay. the majority is just red light. Okay. And there's been quite a big difference between me wearing the yellow lens or the clear lens and the red lens. Um, okay. Definitely takes a little getting used to. You put on these glasses and food is not appetizing. <laughs> Nothing has any color anymore. Everything's got a bit of like a reddish yes. tint. Yeah. Um, but definitely makes a big, a big difference. Um, okay. And tracking with aura ring, I notice big differences in heart rate variability, resting heart rate while sleeping or how low my heart rate goes. Yeah. And those are probably the two biggest um, metrics yeah. that I look at when I track. Okay, track so that's, that's really interesting. So how would that compare to say your amber, you know, filter on your phone? You know, there's the, the downtime filters. That to me mm. seems a little silly. Yeah, so there was actually a podcast by Dr. Huberman on, on sleep. Super, super interesting podcast. Anyone that's interested in this discussion probably needs to listen yes. to that. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it, I think it's a little more than just the wavelength of light, so it's not just blue light, also light okay. intensity. Okay. So you can have low intensity, you can have red light, which mm-hmm. is supposed to be fine to have exposure to in the evenings, mm-hmm. and low intensity red light is fine, but high intensity red light is probably going to have okay. a negative impact on your sleep. Okay. And through some biological, biochemical process, whatever it is, with the cones and the rods in your eyes, right. they pick up light intensity too. Okay, makes sense. So having those filters on your phone, they dim the phone, so it reduces light intensity, right. but I don't know, and maybe someone that's mm. like really, really teched up can say yeah. whether it actually really blocks out blue light, sure. um, but I don't necessarily I don't trust so. it. Yeah. No. So when you say light intensity, that makes a lot of sense because as the sun sets, the intensity of the light starts diminishing, and that's what your yeah. brain is really picking up on. So the, the information coming through or the, the intensity of light coming through your eyes is telling your pituitary whether or not or how much melatonin to make um, in response to the light intensity, so whether or not to switch on the sleep signaling. 
And that yeah. is, that's, is, that makes a whole lot of sense um, from a light intensity, not just the color point of view. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of both. Mm. Um, and then going back to the points on which had the biggest impact on my sleep. So just to summarize that, it's going to be the time before you sleep in terms of when you eat. So yeah. not eating very close to bedtime. Mm. It's going to be the blue light exposure and then modern day solutions to modern day problems. You can use something like blue light blocking glasses. Mm. And another really big thing is sleep hygiene. So having some sort of like sleep routine. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be from not having this haphazard time where you go to bed. So one evening you're going to bed at eight, one evening you're going to bed at 12. You need some sort of kind of like routine. routine. And yeah, it needs to be regulated. Mm. It's going to be light exposure while sleeping. So if you're sleeping with, I mean, I sleep in an apartment, we've got other lights all around us. I sleep mm. with a, a sleep mask on. Mm. Mm. Um, and obviously the blinds close and, and all of mm. that. And then bedroom temperature. If you're sleeping so with cute. the heater and a heater blanket in winter, you're probably going to have really poor sleep. Yeah, yeah. So ideally, you want that environment to be around 20 degrees. Yeah, I think it's 18 to 20 degrees, somewhere okay. so in, in that range. So a little bit chilly. Yeah, Not you want it to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest reasons people have disturbed sleep, and they don't realize it, is they've got all the heating going and the, the electric blankets. And, and I've got women who, I'll never forget, about two years ago, and it was more than one, said to me, well, I think they're going through menopause. They're getting these hot flashes at night. But it was, the weather was turning from summer to win, uh, from, from winter to spring. It's like, have you turned off your heating? Have you changed your pajamas? They're like, no, didn't think of doing that. It's like, maybe you should do that before you think that you're going into menopause and like, magic, everything changed. Exactly. Yeah. So, it's ob so sometimes it's the most obvious things that we miss. And who, gives, who thinks about the temperature of the room? As long as we go to bed comfortable, not realizing that your body temperature can increase or decrease as you're sleeping. And this is a big factor, especially if you are training. So if you, what about training at night? What are your thoughts on exercise in the evening? Yeah, high intensity exercise also has a, probably quite a big negative impact on my negative. sleep. Negative, okay. Um, and typically I'll try to train four hours before bedtime, okay. um, also depending on the intensity of it, the length of it. But, so sometimes I can't, can't avoid it. You know, yeah. you've got a busy day, yeah. your work schedule doesn't accommodate for that, and sometimes I have two sessions a day. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to do then morning and evening sessions, but okay. I'll specifically choose the intense session for the morning okay. and the less intense session for, for the evening. Yeah, so do you think it's the process of, of recovery? Yeah. That's I can feel my heart rate take some time to, uh -huh. to come down. Um, okay. Um, yeah, so your body is recovering. I know the Garmin watches actually have the ability to yes. track recovery on yes. that. And you'll yeah. see post-exercise, you generally have something that will say, still recovering or yes. recovering from exercise. Yes. And that will be present anywhere between like 30 minutes to an hour and a half, two hours. Mm -hmm. um, so there is mm. something that's influencing. And I mean... I'll notice that my heart rate will be elevated for an hour, two, three hours after okay. after training, and sometimes even six to ten hours, or six to twelve hours um, wow. post like really, really intense exercise. Okay. Yeah. How much training do you do to get? I mean, are you doing like a two-hour session, or is it a forty-five-minute weight training session that elevates your heart rate to that extent? Just out of curiosity. For for several hours, like six yeah. to twelve hours. Oh, that'll yeah. be like three, four hours okay. of, of training. So it's relative. So that makes yeah. sorts of sense as well. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I would always, you know, ideally you want to train in the morning. Um, that's, I think that's, you know, fasted first thing in the morning training session, unless you're doing two or three hours of training where fasting is probably not optimal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if people who are like really trying to optimize their sleep, if you can move your training to first thing in the morning, that is ideal. But again, it's not always possible. How many days a week would you train as well? You know, I think there's a, a tipping point where if you're going in excess of five, five training days a week, I think if you're training for a triathlon, you've got X amount of training you have to get done. So, but at what point do you start feeling it impacting your sleep, impacting your immune system? If you, how many days do you need rest? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm the best example. I think triathletes are Probably the worst Probably example. the worst example. Yeah. Um, we typically train seven days a week. Wow, no, that like goes against <laughs> um, every principle of training. <laughs> But it's not seven days a week of the same okay. type of training. But and stop. we'll get a rest day every second week, every third week, depending on the block. 
Okay. Sometimes you won't get one for three, four weeks. So that's conditioning. You're, uh, Correct. But it's cross-training as well. Okay. So you have a mix between hard sessions and okay. or high intensity, medium intensity, low intensity, and those will vary throughout the week. Mm. You'll have variation in terms of the type of training you're doing. Cycling, running, swimming, okay. mobility work, strength work, conditioning okay. work. You'll have variations in terms of the block. So say that's a four-week training block. Okay. You'll have um, leading into like a race, you'll have a very, very intense four mm. weeks and then you'll get into a recovery block or whatever okay. it is. So everything is varying quite a bit and then you'll have a okay. week off after a big race day or right. something of the sort. But definitely not the, <laughs> the right example, example to be using. Yeah. Um, but that's why sleep is super, so imp important for me. Is yeah. If you're going to be doing so much training and you're going to be doing, like, I, I run my own business, yeah. I, I have to get my training in, I still try to have yes. a social life. Like, you've got to balance and juggle all these different things. You need to be sleeping well. Yeah, and that's what I find so incredible with many people who say, well, I work for a living. Where, who's got time to exercise? And then you talk to someone like you who's running a business working crazy hours, I'm assuming, plus training for, for triathlons, plus actually having a life. You can do it if it's important to you. You know, you find the time if it's important to you. That's the key. Yeah. Mm. So you'll find the time and it's just about routine. So mm. I sleep at nine o'clock every night. Mm -hmm. It's early to sleep and then I'm up early in the yeah, morning. Yeah, I, I can't go past nine. Like nine, I've got to be sleeping. Otherwise, yeah. forget it. The next day is, is pointless. May as well not even get up. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm up nice and early in the morning that will vary between five to six, six thirty. Mm -hmm. So I'll get up, I'll do my session, I'll get to work. And then at work, I think a lot of people also have this misconception where productivity equals like time under pressure or, true, or what yeah. you're doing. And there's yeah. probably a better way to say that, but you can be super efficient and effective in the work that you do. And I don't sit until 12 o'clock in the evening doing okay. work. I finish my work there at four or five o'clock, laptop gets closed. And that's me for, for the day. Have you found that over years, your efficiency at night, you know, sometimes you find that there are periods in life where you can work really well at, say, 11 p.m. I mean, I used to be like that. I used to do my best work at 11 p.m. Now forget about it. My, work, my best work is probably at 6 a.m. Yeah. And it, it changes over time. And I think you don't realize it until you start questioning these things. Have you found anything like that? No, I think I've always been a bit of a... Um, a morning worker. I remember back in university, I used to um, couldn't work after um, mm. the lights gone down. Mm. So um, I would really go to sleep at like eight, nine o'clock. I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning okay. and I'd start studying three, four in the morning and I'll start studying. Yeah. Um, so I haven't found that switch in kind of like, okay. I know there's all the different chronotypes exactly. or whatever it is, bear, dolphin, lion. Yeah. Um, I think I've been pretty consistent with it's interesting. With that. Um, yeah. And I do think there are people that work better at night and people that do work better in the morning and do people that have mm. um, optimal hours at different times of the day. Mm. So it's not fair to say everyone should sleep at 9 o'clock at night and everyone should wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I think mm. you need to find something that's you know, works for you, but you need to do it in a healthy fashion. Yeah, I think if what you're doing now is yielding not the best results for you, perhaps entertain some other theory, just give it a try, experiment, go to bed earlier, start working earlier. Exactly. You know, play with different time blocks, as it were, and see, you know, see what works for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and also just ensuring that you are getting seven to eight hours of, of eight sleep hours. a night. It's Four hours is not going to cut it. <laughs> and if you're someone that can manage, I know there's some guys that do that sleep hacking where they'll do a four-hour block here and then they'll do two 30-minute mm. naps throughout the day. Mm. Mm -mm. I think you've got to be super rigid, super structured, mm. super religious with, with getting that done because yeah. if you you can't catch up on sleep, let's be honest. You cannot. You, mm. I have one night of bad sleep or, mm. or late sleep if mm. I go out on a Saturday night. I'm done for three days. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I really yeah, I think that makes all sorts of sense. Um, you can't catch up on the sleep. I think also the reason why this sunset from sunset to sunrise period, um, if, if you can synchronize with that work so well, is because we have to go through cycles. So we go through what seems to be. Um, I think it was Matthew Walker who was speaking about these 90-minute cycles where the brain goes through periods of REM sleep and deep sleep and light sleep. And those sort of, um, not just, I mean, you can't really track it on a Garmin or an Aura. It gives you a 
it gives you a trend, but it's not super accurate. But we need, say, three or four of these 90-minute cycles just to basically detoxification of the brain. Okay. And you need about three or four of these cycles just to have healthy brain health as you as you age. So it's to save off things like dementia and even diabetes. So in my opinion, one of the most fattening things people can do is not get enough sleep because when that energy is low, you're going to crave sugar. You're not going to have the... It's got nothing to do with willpower either, but the ability to understand what's really going on. Your body just says, give me glucose, I'm exhausted. And that's where everything goes off. And this is one of the reasons I believe that not getting enough sleep, well, not even a belief, it's a fact that if you're not getting enough sleep, you're never going to be able to control your eating. You're never going to be able to be mindful yeah. of that. And performance. I mean, mm. there's studies that have been done showing... I think it was one with tennis players where they had a 40% increase in accuracy after good night's rest. Yeah. Um, and there's tons of these like examples where you can say, and they can actually statistically prove that mm. either just poor rest or lack of sleep or mm. no sleep for 48 hours, whatever it is, has significant, not mm. small minor changes where you can say, mm, maybe it was mm. up to chance or, mm. or something of the sort, that there mm. are significant impacts on performance, accuracy, reaction Absolutely. times, mental um, acuity, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because the average person who's not a pro athlete but wants to perform like a pro athlete, so wants to partake in, say, marathon running or triathlons or whatever your sport of choice is, we, we expect our bodies to give the output, but we don't understand. You know, if you are a professional athlete, you've got a coach who's insisting that you get your nap in the afternoon and your eight hours of sleep at night. Otherwise, you can't compete. You can't possibly no. hope to compete. But, you know, the average person who wants to look a certain way, perform a certain way, they don't treat ourselves in that way that we expect our bodies to, you know, the outputs are, output and input are, are very, very different. And you, I think only realizing, you know, the level of, of, of activity you're doing and the sports you're doing, you realize very quickly that you can't perform. You can't even be a competitor if you're not getting the, the downtime. Um, I've worked with a, a number of athletes in the last 15 years, a lot of um, Olympians, um, a couple of Springboks in the early days, and the most important part of their training was their sleep time, um, possibly more than their gym time. And then came the eating time, but the sleep time was critical to their performance. And if it wasn't being nailed exactly as it should be, they can forget about it. You're not going to see the muscle growth or the performance times. Exactly, mm. exactly. I think it's probably the most important thing you can do for anything from sporting performance to recovery mm. to mental performance to mm. preventing burnout, mm. whatever it is, um, and probably the most overlooked it is a, yeah. You know, I, th was, I thought it was also quite amusing that you know, parents, especially new parents, understand so importantly the importance of sleep for their children. Otherwise, their kids become ratty and, and ridiculous to live with. They also feed their kids every couple of hours so the kids are, are happy and they're growing and they're healthy. And somewhere along the line, we forget to do that for ourselves. So somewhere it falls off, sort of the radar, that we should also be watching our sleep just like we do with our kids because mm. our kids need it. Why shouldn't we need it? And um, yeah, I think it's really important to start. Yeah, if, if performance and optimization of health, it's not just about getting the sleep. It's about how is it impacting your whole life? Um, and if you're not happy and if you've suffered from anxiety and depression, perhaps sleep is one of the most obvious and most overlooked areas that yeah. we're looking at. And sleep quality. So... People often say, oh, but you know, I'm getting six, seven, eight hours or mm. whatever it is, but they're waking up four times a night. They're, exactly. They've drunk two, three beers in the evening. They've eaten a big fat steak mm -hmm. in, in the evening. Mm. They fall asleep with the lights on or the heater in the bed or whatever it is. And they're practicing all these like, you know, um, things that are having a huge negative impact on, on their sleep. And they're yeah. getting really, really poor quality sleep and they're not recovering properly. Mm. And eventually that catches up to them and they think back, well, I'm getting eight hours of sleep, but mm. I'm still feeling really shitty. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah that's, and that's where the, the, the complaint about fatigue comes from. So let's just touch on alcohol because this is another area a lot of people don't want to go near. It's like, this is a sacred space. You can't take that away from me as well. <laughs> but it is such a, plays such a huge part in the quality of sleep. And you only have to... I say to people, if they really want to optimize their health and 
you know, bring down their body fat percentage and get better sleep is they've got to make that bottle of wine last two weeks. And most people look at you like you're crazy. Like that bottle of wine lasts two days if you're lucky. And what impact does alcohol really have on sleep quality? Yeah, I think a lot of guys have this misconception where a glass of wine in the evening is fine. And I'm guilty of doing it as well. Mm. Like I love mm. a whiskey or a glass of wine mm. or a beer, but sure. I know very well yeah. going into drinking that, that it's going to have a negative impact on my sleep. Mm. My heart rate's going to be elevated throughout That's the night. It. My body temperature is going to be elevated throughout the night. My heart rate variability is going to be a lot smaller, and that's generally a value that you want as high, high. as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the sleep stages, I generally find, especially if I drink a lot of alcohol, mm. that I sweat a lot when I sleep, and sure. that's like a really, really elevated heart rate, mm. really elevated body temperature. But even just a single glass of wine, mm. you notice when we're using the aura ring. Mm. Oh, can see it right away. Yeah. Mm. And specifically on heart rate variability, you wouldn't recover as well. You don't yeah. sleep as well. No, absolutely. Unfortunately, it, it's not. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's, a, it's a central nervous system depressant, and all night long, your liver and kidneys are working to get it out of your system because it's, it's really is a toxin. It's seen by the, the yeah. system as a toxin. But it, it's, it's weird. So I've heard that it's a depressant. I've heard that it has stimulant-type properties as it well. It depends and on what you're drinking. Yeah. And what you're mixing it with. So, yeah, I mean, for myself, if I have even just a tiny little half a glass of wine before bed, there's no way I want to sleep properly. Or it's going to be severely impactful on on the heart rate variability. It'll go from uh, average heart rate variability of about 55 to 60, all the way down to the 30s. And this is with a negligible amount that you can't even feel. It's literally for taste. And I've tried to deny it myself because I love half a glass of wine or something to eat because I, I do it for the taste more than anything else, um, but it's there. And if you really want to sleep well, it's something you've got to maybe just save for the weekends or, or be more mindful of. Exactly. So I try to do it where Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is typically a big no-no. And there's days yeah. where you'll go out for dinner with friends or family or whatever it is. And you, I mean, you still got to enjoy everything. Like you've got to have a bit of a balance. Mm. But typically I'll try to keep it for Thursday to Saturday. And then Sundays are typically don't drink at all. Okay. Um, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday will be alcohol-free. Yeah. Thursday will be the first day that I'll allow myself to have okay. a drink in the evening okay. or a drink in the afternoon, obviously not during working hours. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah that's, it makes sense as well as to do like a four o'clock in the afternoon because by the time you go to bed, a lot of this is processed through yeah, your system. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I love the fact that you go, well, these are the days which I don't and these are the days which I do. So, so your brain kind of makes peace with it. It's not this push-pull fight all the time. Oh, I just want to have a glass of wine. It's like, you can, but we're going to do it here. And sometimes we need to treat ourselves like children because that's the brain is like that. Let's face it. There's this little reptilian brain that wants what it wants when it wants it. And if we can set out some guidelines for ourselves, our own governing tools and boundaries for ourselves, not just with other people. I think it's really, really helpful. Yeah. Mm. So you get people that will be, look, I mean, you get the guys that are really, really anal about everything. They'll be like, you can't have alcohol at all. You can't have sugar at all. You can't do this at all. And it just becomes so restrictive in terms of what you can do, what you can't do. It takes Mm. the enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Um, It's going to be pushed back. At some point, it's going to crack. Exactly. And it's all just about regulating what you are doing, kind of minimizing the bad, mm. maximizing the good, making sure that you're still getting a good night's sleep. Mm. There's a big difference between drinking a bottle of wine every single night, exactly. getting really, really poor quality sleep, yeah. um, doing absolutely no exercise, mm. having like a really, really crappy diet, and then going, okay, like, let's have a bit of balance. Mm. Monday to Wednesday, no alcohol. My diet is pretty good Monday to Friday. Friday, Saturday, I want to have takeout, and when I mean takeout, I don't mean McDonald's or KFC. It's like (laughs) restaurant food, pizza, pasta, whatever it is. I accommodate that. I allow myself to have that. Mm. It's all just about having a little bit of balance. And quality. It sounds like when you do go, it's not off the rails, but when you do allow yourself some more scope, it's really thought out and it's, you know, well curated, not just random stuff. Exactly. And I think my Taste buds have probably also changed if you're yes. referring to yeah. fast food specifically. Yeah. Um, 
a couple of years ago, I used to love KFC. I used to love McDonald's. It's addictive. Yeah, it's now if I have it, mm. Mm, doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't go down so mm-hmm. well. It doesn't feel very good very quickly either. No, <laughs> not at all. Well. So while we're going alcohol, let's chat about caffeine because this is another really, it's a sacred cow. People don't want to go there, don't touch my coffee. And there's a couple of schools of thought. So Huberman's last comment was don't do caffeine after 3 p.m. Yeah. I would say don't do it before or after 1 p.m. But that's just my metabolism and my the way I process caffeine. Um, so I, get, I guess I think it's also quite personal. And I think it's something that we should perhaps experiment with. So if you are that coffee drinker, cutting off at 3 p.m. and then seeing how your sleep is progressing would be a good experiment perhaps. And if that's not working, probably bring in a little bit earlier. What are your thoughts with caffeine and sleep? Yes, I used to be really bad with coffee. Mm. Um, I used to be among the guys that used to say, Oh, but caffeine doesn't affect me like that. I can drink mm. a cup of I'll coffee before I sleep. Yeah. Um, little did I know that if I'm the people that are saying that, and that include me at, at some point in time, are probably having really, really shitty quality sleep. That wow. a cup of coffee is not making any difference. Mm. Now I have a rule: two o'clock's my cutoff time. Um, mm. Somewhere between one o'clock, three o'clock. It, it's mm. typically in that range. Um, so I won't have any caffeine after that. Mm. It's definitely had a big increase on my sleep quality. Mm. Uh, it's also it's an adrenal stimulant, so it has a stress response in your body. Yes. And another thing that I've actually tried to do is stop drinking coffee first thing in the morning. I've tried that too. Yeah, so I would wake up uh. and first thing I would do is put a cup of black coffee into my body. stimulant straight into your brain. Yeah. That's not a good thing. And your poor mm. fucking adrenal system is like, holy <laughs> shit, what's going on? Yeah. Like. There's no wake-up time. It goes straight from kind of like this relaxed, I think it's theta wave or whatever yes. in a state, yeah. into like Bam. this heightened, stress-filled, cortisol-fueled mm. um, state. Mm. And yeah, that was also terrible for sleep because your sleep cycle is regulated by melatonin, it's regulated by cortisol, and mm. if you're now putting this... So if you're one of those people that are waking up at 3 in the morning and you're wide awake, like... Mm. you cannot go back to sleep. It's mm. most likely due to your cortisol levels. Yeah. And that comes from drinking coffee and yes. your stress levels during the day. And mm. um, so, yeah. I think that first cup of coffee in the morning is key. And I've tried also, like, I get up at about 6, but I've tried really hard. I know it's, it's working quite well to so push it out to about 10 a.m. But the first thing I have is the NeuroJay Plus, or okay. the half a litre of water. And that works really, really well. And I see that working... Um, so, yes, a lot of us drink coffee to wake up because we're wanting the stimulation, but we are pushing the adrenals, which is the wrong way to create um, an awake state. So that's where the mushrooms are utterly fantastic yeah. because it just gently wakes up your brain into that calm focus rather than the um, frenetic buzz. Sunlight. Go stare at the sun and tell me uh, that you're not awake. Yeah, exactly. Well, not at the sun. but yeah. <laughs> And I've been doing that as well. So between the mushrooms and just the sunrise, just for a few minutes, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible what that's done for my sleep later on. And we don't realize that what we do in the beginning of the day can impact what's happening at the end of the day because, well, it makes obvious sense when you're talking about circadian rhythms and circadian cycles because your brain is keeping track right through the day of what's going on with hormone levels. Yeah, and it's exactly that. It is a cycle. And if you're going to Mm. start the cycle at, let's say it's got like five different zones, in zone one, which is supposed to be where you're still in zone five, everything is going to be shifted off. Yes. And there's no surprise as to why if you're supposed to be in zone four now towards the time that you're falling asleep and you're still in zone three, why are you not falling asleep? Because you're still in this heightened state. So you're supposed to wake up, you're supposed to go through the day, Mm. it's supposed to come down, same with the sun, Mm. essentially. Mm. And you're supposed to go through these Mm. phases of, um, I think your stress response or your stress levels is supposed to be the highest at like 10 a.m. or something of the sort. Mm. And it's the same way if you're doing that now at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. when you wake up with a cup of coffee, everything is completely shifted off. And you're going to have really poor quality sleep. You're going to have these energy dips throughout the day. Yeah. So, I think that's really, now that we're talking about it, it's the most obvious um, way to start chipping away at why you're not sleeping. Is how are you starting your day? So start as you mean to end. Yeah. Yeah. With morning the, routine and evening routine. Probably mm, the two most important, like, 
Mm-hmm. And they're super simple. It's an hour in the morning, hour in the evening. That's yeah. it. Yeah, so a bit of a ritual in the morning, a bit of a mindfulness ritual about yeah. how you want to start your day. It will set you up for success or failure um, through your day. And if you can mimic that in the evening, you're just going to get a better quality of sleep. But it's going to take time. This is not something you can do today and you'll get the reward today. And this is something we have to practice. Exactly. It's, it's something that you've got to make part of your routine. Mm. You don't just suddenly get good sleep overnight. No. You might just have a good night's rest and it's probably a pretty average night's rest if you're having poor sleep consistently. Sure. Um, but it just feels really good because it's the first night that you've got yeah. something kind of decent. Um, but it's something that you need to practice and yeah. takes time. I know yeah. if I shift my sleep schedule out, uh, it is completely out of whack for three, yeah. four days yeah. before I can wake up feeling refreshed at five in the morning instead mm. of having to snooze my alarm like six yeah. times and sleeping in and... Yeah, I think that's your biggest warning is how are you waking up? So if you're waking up feeling like you've got a hangover and you haven't drunk the night before, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, and this is how most people live their lives. It's feeling like they have to drag themselves out of bed. They can't function until they've had their coffee. That's a huge warning sign. And for me, in, in the nutrition game and working with a lot of people over the age of, say, 70, is this is if we can be, address this when you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s, you're going to have a better sort of brain, brain health as you age. Um, so cognitively, you're going to be, it's almost an insurance policy, is stop doing this to your brain. It's not just the body. Um, and the alcohol plays a big role as well. But things like, like, say, Red Bull and these energy drinks, which are, I mean, the equivalent to four or five espressos in a tin. And we see children drinking these things, which mo- a lot of schools now have banned them, thankfully. And it's not just because of ADD or it's perceived to be ADD, but um, kids aren't sleeping. So when, you, when your child has a, an energy drink at four o'clock because they've got hockey practice, that is going to impact their sleep right through the night. I mean, the half-life of four espressos in a 12-year-old's body is horrific when you think about it like that. So what are the other things we can, other than good nutrition and good sleep, is to just have a, you know, something to modulate or um, pick up energy through the day. What are your sort of top supplements if we had to look at things like that? Yeah, so I think you're mentioning energy drinks, pre-workouts, or like Mm. gym supplements, also Mm. just as bad. Mm I mean, I used to use a pre-workout that used to have 600 milligrams of yep. caffeine. And I think that's pretty standard They're across amazing. board. That's not... Oh, great. Yeah, no, you do. But <laughs> <laughs> you think about the amount of coffee that uh-uh. 600 milligrams is, uh-huh. it's, it's ridiculous. So I think adaptogens are probably going to be my number one recommendation mm-hmm. for energy, for burnout, for fatigue, for rest, for resilience. That's the mushrooms, that's ashwagandha. Yeah. That is Rodeo de Rosea. Yeah. Um, those are probably like the three, okay. three of my favorites. And okay. when I refer to the mushrooms, I refer to them all kind of together. Sure. Cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, mm. chaga. I think they are best combined. For some reason, taking yeah. them separately doesn't seem to give you that, I don't know, that constant focus and energy where you combine them in a, in a, like a well-thought-out product. Um, it seems to work magic. Yeah, so I think they do have some sort of like synergistic response um, mm. or interaction with each other. They've mm. all got slightly varying effects, like yeah. cordyceps good for endurance and VO2 max and energy. Okay. Lion's mane is great for the brain. It's also really good for kind of mm. mood and depression. Mm. Um, Reishi and Chaga, your two immunomodulating ones, um, mm. Mm. really good for the immune system, yeah. great for anti-aging. Mm. I think Chaga is known as the mushroom of immortality. Okay. Um, so super good for longevity and okay. um, anti-aging. Mm. And combining those four mushrooms is something that I found to be yeah. most beneficial. So we've actually got a product called Shroom Elixir, which yes. has all four of those put together. Yes, and you mix that into your coffee, and then you're good to go. Yeah, so you yes. can put a spoon of that in your coffee, and it's got quite like an earthy, robust, uh, yeah. mild flavor, mm. and it pairs really well with black coffee. Yeah. Um, I know some guys put it in like robust tea or five uh. roses tea. Uh-uh. Don't, don't, think <laughs> don't think I'd recommend that. No. Um, but coffee, it works really, really well. And then we've got the capsules as well, which for mm. the people that aren't a fan of the flavor, you can use that. Yeah, it does for me, it takes the edge off the coffee. It takes that adrenal, sort of that feeling if you drink too much coffee, you need to start breathing too heavily because you're, you're, everything's just working too hard. It really sort of modulates that. Also find that the mushrooms and the coffee, you negate the need to have too many coffees because you're kind of sorted. After one or two, 
you're fine. You don't feel the need for more caffeine. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that comes from the fact that, maybe we can just explain, adaptogens are a class of compounds or herbs that help the body yes, essentially adapt. Mm. They help with homeostasis and they do that via like modulating or working with the glands. So like okay. the adrenal glands, I think it's even the pituitary gland. Mm. Um, and they work with hormones, but mm. not in like an exogenous format where like you're putting in artificial yes. hormones into yeah. your body. It helps your body bring your yes. hormones into homeostasis and yes. it helps regulate itself. So it's right. super good for energy, it's super good for the immune system, mm. it's super good for memory, focus, neurotransmitters, mm. and all, all of that. Mood, yeah. Incredible. I mean, some of your products, like Neurodale, I always refer to because it's one of my go-tos and I put a lot of people onto that, is it is an incredible mood stabilizer. So it just brings you back into this neutral space where everything is fine. You know, it's not extremes on either level. Just, uh, But then in that product, you've also got nootropics. So you've got a few other bits and pieces in there, which are also really, um, I find also, you know, they, they, the, the payoff later on in the day, you're able to wind down a whole lot easier. Yeah. Mm. So using nootropics instead of like loading up on six cup of coffee mm. is a really, really nice way to still get that mental performance. And I know a lot of guys use coffee for yeah. the mental performance, for the energy boosting, for the focus, for the concentration, mm. and let that be placebo or not. Um, mm. And I don't think it is placebo it's because caffeine placebo. is probably one of the most like well-studied yeah. compounds, and it's got tons of studies indicating its efficacy on focus mm. and concentration and time to fatigue and, mm. and all these different things. Mm. But mm. probably a bit used and abused in yeah in modern day times. And you know, while we're on the topic of of adrenal burnout, uh, one of the biggest culprits is your fat burners. So your you know, old-fashioned sort of back-in-the-day fat-burning type of supplements like hydroxycut and those sort of things, which yeah. are packed full of caffeine. And all that's really doing is pushing your heart rate up and making you feel a bit nauseous so you don't eat. And somehow that's got something to do with fat-burning, which is exactly the opposite of fat-burning. So if you're not eating, you're never going to burn fat, firstly. It's going to, there's going to be some tipping point where it's going to cave in and you're going to go crazy with the sugar. Um, but the adrenal fatigue is exactly what you don't want when you're wanting to burn fat. You want adrenal optimization to burn fat because that's going to have impact on your liver and the way that the body breaks down fat um, soluble, you know, the toxins in our bodies are housed in, in fat cells. And to break those down, we need optimal liver function. So if we're going to metabolize fat properly and go into a good sort of state of lipogenesis, we need to not swallow fat burners, um, ironically. And yeah. very few people... You know, think about it in terms of uh, back in the day when I was doing body, I was bodybuilding, I was doing physique tr um, training, and I used to swallow ephedrine and hydroxycut and all this and caffeine on 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 gargantuan levels, and really all I did was create thyroid problems and burnout in the long term. Yeah, yeah. And the funny work. thing is, those thyroid problems now have a worse impact on, of course. on weight gain. Exactly. And then you get to a point where you just can't lose fat anymore and you have to clean out the system and start again. Yeah, I think it's the problem with these extremes. So everyone has this, and that's a lot of people will, and the mushroom products are like a really yeah. good example in that. People will take them and like, mm, I don't really feel much. Yeah. But it's what because, are you looking for? Yeah. yeah, well, number one, let's manage expectations. What yeah. are you looking for? Number two, if you're used to drinking three Red Bulls mm. to get a little bit of mental mm. focus, you're definitely not going to feel... Yeah, you're not going to feel that. <laughs> ...anything from, you know, a couple capsules of Lion's Mane. But over time, as your body... And I like to refer to it as, like, raising your baseline. Yes. So you can use things like nootropics and stimulants and caffeine and all of that stuff, and it brings you, like, this temporary kind of, like, increase in, in baseline. Right. But it always lifts you up from where you are. You're right. So, and you can use things like adaptogens and healthy living and lifestyle okay. practices to raise your baseline. If you have a baseline over here use a little bit of caffeine as a boost, that's great. And you come back down to a pretty good, good baseline. baseline. If you're all the way down here... It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot to, to get you up there. Mm. And mm. you're not going to feel the impact of things that slowly raises baseline when you're constantly operating in this kind sure. of like gray zone fueled mm. by caffeine gray and zone. stimulants and, and whatever it is. Yeah, you that's know. a really good, good description because that's exactly what it is. And I think, you know, going cold turkey and just going off the caffeine and stopping the Red Bulls is a mistake as well. We've got to 
maybe just have one less or have, you know, bring it through to the beginning of the day, not the end of the day and start chipping away slowly at bringing it down because going mm. extreme with coming off caffeine can be horrible and can make Withdrawal it so symptoms. much worse. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. We do caffeine fast. So in the office, we do it's these horrible. little challenges <laughs> and one week it'll be a standing desk and one week it'll be caffeine okay. free, whatever it is. But I drink two, three cups of coffee a day, probably on average, mm. and I'll have withdrawals if yeah. I stop caffeine for a week. So you can imagine someone that goes and stops Eight 600 cups. milligrams yeah. of caffeine a day, mm. um, yeah. how that's going to be. Okay, so to recap, let's just think about maybe the top line things that anybody listening to this can do today. And one would be maybe just reducing the caffeine load, maybe putting it between, say, 10 in the morning and 12 in the afternoon, having your coffee there. Um, what else comes to mind? The quick fix, quick fixes, but the, the things that are easily accessible that you can start Like simple, doing. simple mm. to implement. So, well, we can start with the morning, probably get a bit of sunlight, get a bit of movement, and try push that cup of coffee out by an hour or two. Okay. If you used to drink it at five, drink it at six. If you drink it at seven, drink it at eight. I think that's okay. a pretty a fair yeah, yeah. middle ground. Then I think during the day, cutting your caffeine intake, like you said, mm. instead of having your last cup of coffee at five, six in the afternoon, have it at one, two o'clock. Yeah. It's a simple, effective solution. Drink all the caffeine that you typically drink, just... Change the timings. Change the timings. Okay. And in the evening, try eat two hours, three hours before you sleep. Okay. I think four hours is probably the, the optimum. It but is optimal. I, mm. I, I, it's not always practical. The time that I sleep and the time that I get home, it, it doesn't mm. it doesn't line up. Mm. So two hours, if you can, three hours. Okay. Um, reduce the amount of alcohol that you that you take in, mm. and reduce the blue light exposure that you're getting. Yeah. If you're going to be sitting in the evening and watching TV, um, switch off the lights. Mm. Try and get 30 minutes before you get into bed of darkness. Don't sit mm. on your phone lying in bed. It's and I think mm. those super simple. Mm. And really practical changes will make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, go as far as to take your phone and put it not next to your bed. So you'd have to get out of bed to go and grab that phone. Exactly. Yeah, little things like that. And you know, finding the one or two things that you know you can practically implement. So if you can practically do 20 minutes of exercise in the morning, do that. Start with the thing that's the easy win. Exactly. Mm. It's all about having something that plugs into your routine. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people fall off the wagon. If you go and give someone some absurd yeah. routine structure where like you got to wake up and you got to exercise for an hour and you got to have coffee only at 10 o'clock and you're only allowed one cup of coffee. Last week. You got to eat four hours before you sleep and it's just this impractical much. kind of thing that they've got to implement. It's not going to happen. Mm. You need something that plugs into your current mm. lifestyle, into your mm. current routine. Mm. And that's you don't have to do everything. Just yeah. Pick That's one it. or two little things. One or two things. And go from there. And yeah. give it two weeks and you'll feel the difference. And you're like, okay, cool. Then you're inspired There's to something do more. to it. Add it in. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So before we end, we can't talk about sleep without talking about magnesium. So it's so yes. important. So how does the mechanism work? What is the mechanism? So I think it's magnesium glycinate. There's different kinds of magnesium that really help people wind down and relax. And magnesium is critical for so many functions. It's probably... In my opinion, if you can afford only one thing, get magnesium. You know, then get your omegas and then put some mushrooms on top of that. But um, yeah, how do, what's the mechanism of the magnesium and how does it facilitate the sleep? So you get a whole bunch of different types of magnesium. Magnesium glycinate, which is great for sleep. Mm. Paired with, it's magnesium paired with glycine. Yes. Glycinate. You get magnesium malate, which is good for muscle recovery. Okay. Malate plus magnesium. The malate is great for muscle soreness, muscle okay. recovery. L3NA, good for the brain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these different forms of magnesium. Okay. It's magnesium paired with another compound. Okay. And magnesium itself, with irrespective of the mm. thing that it's paired with, is good for sleep. And it does this via regulation of neurotransmitters. Yeah. So it works with GABA. And I don't okay. know the exact biological process sure. or biochemical process, rather. So but it enables all those other processes to work efficiently. Exactly. Okay. And a lot of biological processes require magnesium yes. for operation yes. and for function. Everything does, yeah. yeah. And then glycine or glycinate sure. is also just beneficial for sleep, and that's particularly why magnesium glycine mm. or magnesium glycinate is mm. so amazing for, for sleep. Okay. And 
So we have a sleep product called Natural Sleep, mm -hmm. and it has a little bit of magnesium plus a whole bunch of other herbs which okay. are, um, help regulate GABA. But I personally find my magnesium product is way better for yeah. sleep and recovery than an actual sleep supplement. It's the impact on magnesium on, on my mm. sleep, and I think it's also because my sleep quality is already pretty good that I find mm. that that magnesium just gives me that the extra edge. step. Yeah. But that is my... Um, there's two products that I don't miss. Mm. In the evening, it's magnesium, and it's mm. the morning, it's the, the mushroom products. So, yeah, what I use of your products is the magnesium glycinate at night with the lemon balm. And for some reason, the lemon balm also seems to work really well with Yes, I think that works with GABA. Okay. So, but, mm. it's a, GABA is the inhibitory neurotransmitter in your body, mm. and it helps you relax, it helps yeah. you unwind, it helps you... To sleep, and magnesium yeah. has some sort of impact or yeah, um, it opens the influence door. Influence in that basically. in that pathway. Yeah. yeah. So those two for me are just amazing for sleep. We have one called magnesium complex, which okay. has magnesium glycinate as bisglycinate, which is a more bioavailable form than okay. typical glycinate. Mm -hmm. Magnesium malate, so it's great for muscle recovery. Okay. And then magnesium L3-anate, which is the only form of magnesium that can pass your blood-brain barrier. Okay. And that's as magtine, which is the world's best. Yes, yes. Magnesium L3-anate. Yes. And it pairs all three of those wow. together in a, okay. in a product. Yeah. Okay, I'm definitely going to try that. Okay, this is really, really fascinating. So I'm hoping that anyone listening has got, you know, can take away from this something useful that they can, again, take what's easy, um, do what's going to fit into your life really easily so that it's not going to be another stressor. And as it gets, you know, as, as you feel the benefit and feel the impact of getting more rest and getting more sleep, um, it just becomes easier to make more changes and more changes. Before you know it, you're doing everything right and you, you're feeling better and performing better. So thank you for your time. I can't wait to have another conversation soon. Sure, thank you. Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcast, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review.